0: If you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. You know who said that? Nikola Tesla, one of the most important inventors in the history of humanity. I love saying that quote because it's such a new agey thing to say. But it turns out it's also true in a scientific sort of materialist way. It is true. And where we left off last week was we were talking about standing and delivering, getting in front of an audience and slaying. And where we left off was how you make an energy imprint on a room. Like I said last time, it is an energy game. Public speaking is as much about energy transmission as it is about information and knowledge transfer. I'm serious. How you show up and the vibes you bring with you are announced the minute you walk in the room. We talked about eye contact. We talked about uh, nonverbals and body language. But where I want to pick up on is that handoff we discussed, the handoff between little scared you and big resonant amazing you. And I want to go a little bit deeper into that. It's funny, if I, when I'm working with a client, if there's any way to do this, I have them meet me at the venue where they're going to do whatever talk or do whatever thing they're going to be doing, whether it's a television appearance or talk or whatever. If it's possible, I like to get into the venue early with my client and have them stand on the stage and look out into the empty room. And I like to have them do that, number one, because... It's a lot to take in for the first time when you haven't been to the venue, and it can be triggering for some people. But also, I want them to imprint a sense of ownership and belonging on that space, on that stage, in that room. And I like to make it fun. It should feel playful. Because what the process of imprinting energy is, is reminding ourselves mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically... That the minute it is our turn to speak, it's our house, right? It is our party. Welcome to my house. Basically, when an audience looks up on stage and they see someone that is treating them, the venue, the event, the moment, as if it's their party and you're invited and we're going to have a good time. Or, you know, it's our cozy conversation and you're invited and we're going to have a good time. The audience just loves it. They can relax knowing that you're in charge. So whenever possible, get on stage, get in the room where you're going to be presenting or communicating and try and imprint, this is my house. This is my scene. I get to determine what the vibes are. And it also forces you in a sense to commit to an intention. What are your vibes? what game are you running here? I saw someone on stage. This was a couple of years ago, maybe actually maybe a year and a half ago. And she got on stage and you could tell immediately that by her facial expression, well, I'm, I'm like a super reader of micro expressions. So maybe it wasn't obvious to anybody but me. But you could tell she just had this kind of look on her face. Like, I don't really want to be here. My content sucks. I'm just going <sighs> to... Just gonna get through this. I mean, that was the vibe. She was just radiating it. And people, audiences are so amazing. People were trying to like give her positive eye contact and they were leaning forward. They were doing everything they could to sort of reverse this weird, apologetic vibe she was giving on stage. And it was so unfortunate. I went through this phase where I would listen to the Christian radio station. In the mornings, they play like their best preachers. I don't know what denomination it was. Maybe it was evangelical. I really don't know. But I used to love this one Scottish preacher. I didn't always agree with everything he said because it was fairly conservative Christian radio. <laughs> but the man could preach, y'all. I mean, he could preach. Still can. I think he's still on. Listen, you hear a good preacher, you learn a lot about the art of a great talk. I'm, I'm serious. And this one guy gave this sermon. I don't know if that's what they call it outside of Catholicism. I'm pretty sure it is. Anyway, this guy's giving this sermon. And he was saying that when he was a young preacher, this older preacher came to watch him and mentor him. He was kind of a gruff old guy. And I'm not going to try and do the Scottish accent because I think you'll lose respect for me if I do that because it's really bad. Anyway, so the young preacher's like, okay, I've I've got my talk, I've got my notes. And he's kind of about to go in front of the congregation. And the older sort of cross, gruff, elder statesman preacher comes up to him and he's like, how are you feeling? And the young guy's like, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I did what I could. I don't, I don't totally love this reading. I'm not really connecting with it, but I, I did what I could. And the old preacher leans in and he goes, you listen here, young man, whether you have mincemeat or sirloin, you get up on that stage you get up on that pulpit and you serve it as if it were the best thing you've ever seen in your life. You serve it as if it's the highest quality, most fantastic cut of meat. (laughs) Don't you love that they're talking about a sermon as if it's a piece of meat? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Anyway, he's like, you know what? You are past the point of apologizing for that meat you're about to serve. You get up on stage and you serve it and you serve it with everything you've got. So the young preacher went up there and he slayed. He served it. And that's what we have to do. In fact, if it makes you feel any better, every time I get on stage, every time I record a podcast, every time I open my mouth professionally, I wonder is it enough? Is it helpful? Like, am I the only one that thinks this is any good? I I don't know. And every time when I'm done and I hit submit on this podcast to the fabulous producers that edit it for me, or anytime I get off stage, I wonder, was it enough? But thanks to that story between elder preacher and younger preacher that I heard so many years ago, now I know when it's go time, I serve it. I mean, I serve it, and so should you. Never, ever doubt your content once you're on stage. At the point of being on stage, you are no longer asking yourself the question, is it enough? No mas, no mas. I'm constantly redirecting my thoughts because my thoughts want to go there too. But once you're on stage, you click into that mode of it's go time, it's performance time, it's time for me to serve in the deepest, richest, most positive sense of the word serve. Let's back up a little bit. A lot of times when people, when I'm in this energy imprint mode and people are looking out in the audience and they're like, gulp, or even if you're thinking about a room full of people, it's like 10 people, you might be going, gulp, yikes, all those faces looking at me. One of the activities I have people do as part of this ritual of calling forward big you is I have them do what is called a meta meditation meditation. In Buddhism, a metta meditation is a compassion meditation. And I don't adhere to any strict, you know, rules from the Buddhist tradition, but I love the concept. And the concept is the people that you are most afraid of, hold them in compassion. Hold them in compassion. So when somebody's freaking out about an audience that's intimidating, I will have them sit for a moment and imagine those people as human beings who have real struggles. Maybe someone in that audience is caring for a dying parent. Maybe someone in that audience is going through a divorce. Maybe someone in that audience didn't get any sleep last night because they have a toddler who's just all up in their grill and they're just barely keeping their chins above the waterline. When you imagine the humanity of a room full of people, suddenly you don't feel intimidated by them. You feel absolutely moved to lift them up and wrap them in an experience that nourishes them, that lifts them up, that teaches them something, that solves a problem for them, whatever it is. Sometimes I get so deep into that meta meditation for my own talks that I move to tears thinking about it and thinking about the awesome privilege of having a room full of people that I get to speak with, that I have the privilege of. Of teaching. My God, it's like it brings me to my knees. I can't believe the honor of it. And that energy of serving from the deepest place of compassion and the deepest wish for the well being of the other, that, my friend, is where the great performances come from. That deep space of connection to service. So consider when you get really triggered consider building in that metta, that compassion meditation. And that's something you can do way ahead of time or right before. In fact, a lot of these things that I'm talking about, you can do them every day for a week, or you could do them three minutes before you walk on stage. It matters not. What I'm giving you are tools. When you use these tools, totally up to you. The other tool I want you to know about, its and I, it took me the longest time to own up to this ritual that I do, in preparation because it's super nerdy sounding. It's super like Dear Diary sounding, but it works. I'm convinced it works. What I will do before I go on stage is, and I do this in my car usually, or if there's a like quiet green room where I'm the only, I'm the only person I'll do it. But I get out my journal because I don't go anywhere without my journal. It goes everywhere with me. And I write down a note as if it were 10 minutes after I've walked off stage or 10 minutes after I've walked out of the meeting. So let's say my keynote's at 9. I'll write down in my diary. In my diary, I just said diary. That's amazing. I'll write down in my journal. It's 1130 AM. I've just finished my talk. I had a line of people to talk with afterwards that I connected with that I absolutely loved. The talk Worked. It was so helpful for them. We connected. I could see their faces light up with recognition, with illumination, with understanding. It was pure joy. I loved it. And I knew everything I needed to say. I even got a few things out that I didn't even know I had in me that were really helpful for some people. And I slayed. And they loved it. And I loved them. And I write down that note because what it does, you guys, is it sends me on stage. It sends me in to get mic'd up with the energy of victory, success, and connection. So I walk into that stage situation knowing I've already slayed. I've seen the movie and the movie ends great. So it lets me relax and I'm lit up from within knowing that I have already slayed. I know it's crazy. It's like time travel. And as I'm getting mic'd up, I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. I'm so thrilled that it worked, even though it hasn't happened yet. In fact, I've had you know the people that mic you up, they will sometimes comment like, God, you seem so happy. Like most people are very quiet at this stage. And it's because I've already seen it and it's it worked great and everything went well. And that little ritual is tapping into the same exact technique that professional athletes use, that actors use, that people that perform on stage use, and that is the act of visualization. The body doesn't really distinguish between what the brain is deeply visualizing and seeing and and using imagination to create, if it's rich enough, and reality. Remember, it's like when we were talking a few podcasts ago about fight, flight, or freeze. The body and the brain doesn't really distinguish between a really hurtful comment and somebody holding a gun to your head if you're triggered. Same is true in the positive sense. If you go deep into a visualization, if you go deep into a writing practice that takes you to a place of absolute triumphant success, your body, your mind, they don't see the difference between that and reality. So, when you go into that room, your body and mind are like, oh, yes, I have slayed this. Now, you still get nervous, of course, but it sure sets you up for success. So, that's another one of my favorites. Another one of my favorite things to do is I have, I love mantras, as you know, because my mind is constantly speaking. It's like my, my, the language part of my brain is so. Cranked up all the time, that I just, there's just constant talking in my head. <laughs> it's not somebody else's voice, don't worry, it's just my own voice, but there's just a constant running commentary. Maybe you can relate to this. And so to arrest that and settle it down, I use mantra because I can constantly bring my thoughts under control by making them line up like good little soldiers in this mantra. So the mantra I use when I'm starting to panic before I'm going on stage is this, my only job is to dot, dot, dot. So for example, if someone is miking me up, that's when I get the most nervous, I'll say my only job is to feel the sensation of the microphone getting clipped to my shirt or whatever. My only job is to feel my feet on the ground. My only job is to put my arms in Wonder Woman pose. My only job is to walk up these stairs My only job is to deliver the first line of my talk. It's one of the few things I've memorized because I love having that one thing I can cling to. My only job is great because it reminds your body and your mind that the time for second guessing and worrying is now over. Your only job is to connect with what Dr. Joe Dispenza calls the generous now. Your only job is to be in the generous now. And if you do that, your heart rate slows down. You have access to all that information you've absorbed that you want to transmit, and you stay in that heart-centered space of devotion to the audience. It's powerful. But there is this other thing, this other part of preparation, of pregame, that I haven't gotten to yet that is arguably the most important and also the simplest I'm sure you can guess what it is. The breath. Guys, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of breath. As you approach the stage, as you think about the opportunity, anytime your stomach flutters or your heartbeat races, thinking about the opportunity, preparing for whatever, that is when you know you call in the breath. And not just any old breath, deep belly breath, navel, deeper than navel. Like deep abdominal breathing, in for five, out for five, in for six, out for six, in for seven, out for seven, if you can get there. Some people even do the in for five, hold for five, out for five, and on down the line. This breathing technique is so magical because it stops the fight, flight, or freeze reaction. It stops the hijacking of your rational brain. It stops the process of turning you into somebody in fetal position sucking on your thumb, (laughs) proverbially. I'm not kidding. The breath is that powerful. And the funny thing about it, because I have to do this every single time I talk because I get so nervous, is your chattering little you monkey mind will say, Honey, breath isn't going to help you now. You're a hot mess. Breathe. Are you kidding? What a joke. That's not enough. Yes, it is enough. Yes, it is enough. The breath will get you calm. So when that part of you starts to doubt, tell it to shut up and go back to your breath. Go back to your breath. Go back to your breath. Now, for me, another thing that's very important pregame ritual for me is when little me is still in charge, I get dry mouth. I really, really do. And so I power pound water before I go on stage. And I try to remember to pee before I go up there. I power pound water, and then I bring water on stage with me. I never need it. I almost never, ever, ever need it. And if I do need it, I just wait for a moment when I ask the audience a question or I show a video and I can kind of take a sip then. But just having it on stage allows me to relax and not panic. Then I'm gonna have a, what was it, Marco Rubio who had that water incident on television, I can't remember, some some candidate. Anyway, if you need water, bring water. If you sweat profusely, bring a handkerchief, put it in your jacket pocket. That's for the gentlemen out there. In fact, I, I find that that is like, women get dry mouth, gentlemen tend to, to sweat. It's, it's all the same reaction, same manifestations of the same nerves. So, what you're noticing here is that all of these strategies I'm giving you are allowing you to mitigate and cal- mitigate the risk of little you taking over. I'm giving you tools to calm down the anxiety that little you brings with it and tamping down all of that noise so that big you can fill the silence that big you can step into that place of meta, of devotion, of service, of, of joy, of actually getting excited to experience this aspect of your own power. It's cool. It, when you get good at it, it is one of the most fun things you can do. It's flow. Speaking of silence, though, there is one thing I want to note. When you are speaking from the place of big you, you will notice that silence is golden. Audiences love variation. We've talked about this a couple episodes ago And we talked about the goldfish problem. Audiences need novelty and variation. And speed and tone of delivery are no exception. So there, there may be pockets where you speed up and talk quickly because you're excited and you're saying something funny or whatever it is. But if big you is in charge, you will also notice that when you drop your big truth bombs, when you make your big statements, when you make your big thesis moments happen, let them breathe. Give them some space. Don't fill the silence. Steve Jobs was a master at this. He would, I remember, I think it was like one of the One of the iPhones, I think it was. And remember when there was like flip cameras and those things were so cool and so fabulous. And then Apple came out with phones that took video and it was like, bye flip camera, bye. Anyway, Steve Jobs was up there demonstrating the iPhone. I remember this distinctly. And he said, how good is the video quality? Turns out it's great. And he throws to a video of these kids jumping into the water, into a lake. And I thought in that moment, I was like, this is so funny. A lot of my clients would be like, well, we have to talk about megapixels. We have to, we have to talk about this, we have to talk about that. It's like, well, yeah, sure, of course, but start with something juicy. Use silence, throw to something fabulous to look at, then get into the megapixels and stuff. I just, I used to love watching him. It was so, it was just so fun to watch him. May he rest in peace. Anyway, back to silence. A lot of us struggle with silence. We find silence to be intolerable. In fact, we find subconsciously, I find a lot of us think silence means awkwardness. That silence means you're scared and you don't know what to say. To this I say, if you're making eye contact with an audience and you know what you're saying and you're in the zone and you use silence to punctuate a big idea, They don't think you're scared. They don't think you're nervous and that you don't know what to say. What they think is that you are there to help them and that you are a very strong communicator. So if you struggle with silence, start observing yourself. When do you use vocalized pauses? Why do you feel afraid of silence? Just really kind of notice it. You'll start to just fall in love with it as a a way to punctuate important ideas. As you get good at this, you guys, as you start to experience this dimension of your own nature, your ability to stand in your own authentic power, your ability to communicate a message whose time has come, your ability to take something complicated and make it repeatable and interesting and fun. Once you learn that this kind of power exists inside of you, you'll get addicted. You'll love it. You'll want to run that game more often. You'll want to experience the power of your own presence more often. And I mean that in a good way, not in like a pompous way. You might even find that this is a dimension to your personality. You didn't even know you had. And that to me is why I love this work so much. Everything I do is just a proxy for power. You know, all of this communication stuff, it's really just a proxy for understanding our own authentic brand of power. And that power comes forward when we empty ourselves out in devotion to somebody else. When we serve from the deepest part of who we are. That is a power no one can take from you. That is a power that I think has the capacity to change the world. And my wish for you, friends, is that this week is a power week for you. My wish is that when you get nervous and you get up to say something, that you remember that this is an aperture through which big you can shine. My hope is that you start to see the nerves and the fear as just another opportunity to experience your own greatness. Have a wonderful week, my friends. Shine on you crazy diamonds. Talk to you next time.